this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 158 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, Jason Roberts. This coming Wednesday, I'll be flying to the UK um, and staying there for a month, a month and a half, actually. So you're going to be in England for part of the time and Ireland? Yeah, I'll be in England, um, attending my cousin's wedding, and then move, uh, go flying over to Ireland from the 5th onwards, from the 5th, actually till the 5th, so we'll be flying back to um, America on the 5th. Wow, so you think you're actually able to get work done? Well, I better. <laughs> I've got to keep earning money, so uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how good are you at working out of your like normal? Um, I don't know uh, space. So you know, like you have a laptop, so I guess you're you're okay anywhere. Is that? I'm used to it. I like it actually. I like it. In fact, it's in, in a way, it's one of my favorite things to do. Is where you're kind of working. You're with people, but you're working as well. So you've got some company. Like otherwise, you're just kind of in your office on your own. But um, I mean. I guess when when we're abroad, maybe I'll be working in a hotel room or I'll be working in my family's house and people will be pottering around so I can get work done and have conversations, which is great. Oh, okay. <laughs> the two two questions about that. One is what about your chair? Like for me, the chair is important because I'm I'm a I I'm sort of a sloucher. Like I lean way low, like I'm a yeah. lighter. And I can't do that on most chairs. And I get kind of a backache sitting trying to sit up straight and everything. So are you not that sensitive to the kind of chair you're sitting in? I am, but I think that when you're kind of in the process of travel, for some reason, your body just kind of sets you up. You know, you, you're you prepared for it. You know, you're you're moving around, you're traveling around all the time. You're going from one location to another. You just kind of feel more mobile in that kind of travel state. Well, what about the... So do you normally... don't? You don't have a big screen, right? Are you... You just recently got a big screen. You, you yeah, have a laptop yeah. that you hook into your screen that way. I actually do really like the big screen, but um, I, I mean, you know, every weekend I'll go up to um, George's parents' house and they don't have a big screen there. I'll take the laptop and I'll do some work on it. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm pretty much used to it. It's actually down. Orange County is down. Oh, I always get it <laughs> wrong. Whatever, whatever, whatever location I say, I always get that wrong. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. coughing again, are we? Yeah, I have like the never ending chest cold. It's oh, still no. Well, I I can't work on. I'm not. I'm like thirty percent efficiency when I'm on a laptop. I feel like, and so we're going to go to Sandy's parents' um, place for I don't know four or five days for Thanksgiving. Um, we're yeah. taking off what Wednesday morning. We'll drive to Vegas and then we'll uh, come back on Sunday. And I'm you know I'm taking the entire the twenty seven inch iMac. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's that's not a bad idea. I mean, if you, if you can do it, why not, you know? Yeah, well, I, I mean, there'd be no way. I mean, my laptop, we have an old Windows laptop that just sucks. So, I, I mean, I can't get anything done on that now. And I just can't work on the laptop. I'm just not efficient. So, you know, luckily, it's actually pretty easy to transport a, an iMac. I mean, we have a big car that can just throw it in. So, it's not that yeah. transporting it is a problem. And luckily, I just go into the living room and I, you know, I bring down, they have a nice, like those leather um, office chairs. I bring that down to the living room, get the iMac all set up. And I'm like, it's just like I'm in my office. So it's an office away. It's a home away from home. Yeah, except I'm right off the kitchen. So there's all the activities right there, except I'm just at the other side of it kind of working. So it's not like I'm up sequestered in some kind of like remote 
um, you know, guest bedroom or something. That's what I like. I like it when you're kind of working and there's activity going on around. I like that feeling. Yeah, that's actually my favorite. I love being, I love having something to do, but being in the middle of all of the activity and energy. I'm not really good at just hanging around doing nothing for, for any length of time. And my first company um, that I started with uh, Phil Amon, who I've had on the show, we've, who we've had on the show, what, I don't know, was that like six months ago or something? A couple um, of times. Yeah, a couple of times. So he's, um, we, we, our company was in uh, Pasadena where I live now, it was right in the middle of old Pasadena, right where all the, um, the restaurants and cafes and everything is. And our office was in the second floor and the windows would be open and you could hear people walking underneath the windows. They'd park their cars. They're walking to the restaurants and you felt like we could just walk out and we could be eating at any interesting, cool restaurant or go to the movies or anything. And it felt great. Even if you like on a Saturday, sometimes it'd be like on a weekend, if you had nothing to do, it'd be better just go in the office and just like screw around. And then you're still in the middle of everything. So is that your grand vision for any food? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that because um, I, for a, a long time, I kept thinking I, I just wanted to get back to that. I just wanted to get an office in the middle of old Pasadena with, you know, some friends and work on a bunch of cool stuff. And that would just be just the life. Um, but I've, I've gotten so used to working at home now that I wonder if I, I don't know if I even care anymore. Um, and part of it because of having kids. Yeah. Um, I just like being around the kids because before, before you're married, it's like, you know, you don't, you don't want to hang around that in your apartment by yourself. I mean, that's really boring. So you'd rather go to the office, at least hang out there. At least you're, you know, one or more of your buddies would be sitting there and you can hang out with them if you're, if you have nothing else to do. Um, but now I wouldn't want to say, all right, sweetheart, I'm going to take off for five hours and go to the office. You know, that'd be hard right, because you're there, you're available to see all of the first walks and all of the crazy stuff that happens at home, which is kind of a, a, a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think, I guess it's changed a little bit. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know like if any foo was successful and we had an office of how excited I would be or not about having an office somewhere. I don't, I don't know. We obviously, we're always kind of making our mind up. Where are we going to stay? We just know that Los Angeles or this place anyway, at the moment, isn't where we're going to stay, but we, we were up in Napa. I'm kind of thinking, is that maybe where we'd like to stay? And Actually, ultimately, we think we like Savannah. Now, do you remember we, I spoke to you about okay, Savannah? Okay, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, okay, you, you were on the F- Savannah trip, and yeah. then you came back. You're like, we're moving to Savannah, we're moving to Savannah. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't, and then you don't want to move to Savannah. And then you're like, we're going to move to Northern California. Well, I always to wanted to move to Savannah. It's, 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 um, it, it was just, oh, God, I, I'm going to get in trouble if I blame my wife. Uh, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. But, blame her. Don't worry. But, don't all worry. right, all right. No, she's not going to hear this show anyway, is she? That's, no. that's not a problem. Not, not but, until uh, I, not until I, not until I cut out a sound clip and I email it to her, but that's okay. Okay. Um, do you know what I didn't like about Napa? It, it is kind of a caricature. Like it's, it's kind of like a caricature of the tech, the tech kind of the great, the silver haired tech guy driving a Porsche, you know, and I just, that's a bit too much. Savannah is? No, uh, Napa. Oh, Napa is. Right. Yeah. So, so, cause remember we spent a week on week in Napa checking it out. Uh-huh. I was, I was talking about the idea of having a vineyard in Napa and all that kind of stuff. Huh. And that was interesting to me. But when I went up there and saw that just how much of a caricature that is, I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, it, it is, it is when you start seeing yourself become a cliche. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of re- so good. repulsive. You're like, Oh, I can't do that now. It's <laughs> like, um, it's like when my uh, buddy Travis, who's the uh, CEO of, um, Uber, 
And right. for a number of years, he would call me up and be like, "Hey, man, so when are you when are you moving up to the Silicon Silicon Valley or, or the Valley? I guess you go when are you moving up to the Bay Area, because he used to he's from the LA area." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like up there would be a cliche, just another tech guy working on a startup, you know." And he's like, "And he's like, yeah, but he's like, but being a tech guy in LA is kind of like being a finance guy in Fresno, you know?" Right. And uh, so, which is a good point. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like you're not. But at least I'm not like, you don't feel like you're a cliche. You know, it's like, a, it's like a, someone working on a screenplay in LA. It's like, yeah, it's like everybody's got a screenplay and some kind of budding actor, acting career or whatever. I think, I mean, I'm, I don't see any reason why we can't grow, especially since what I've seen with Company 52 now. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're a completely decentralized co- um, company. Like they 100% just in the same way as uh, we met online or whatever. Like they are, they've met on met that way and they've, executed their business that way and they're doing pretty well you know like like um it's 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 a growing company and just through using online processes and and good tools it works yeah i don't yeah i don't think i don't think there's anything preventing it i think you can still be pretty productive i think it just depends on the people if the people are comfortable they're used to doing it i mean people who are not used to working at home i think it takes a while to adapt to that that's i know it took me i took me a little while till i really got into it i mean i think you got to go through a couple you plateau at like the first the first couple of weeks, you try the dumb stuff like, well, I'm, I'm going to just start working before I take a shower and brush my teeth, you know, kind of thing. You spend like the first hour and a half kind of like in your pajamas, that kind of stuff. And you realize that's a total fail because then what happens after working for hours, you want to go crawl back in bed for a little while and just take a little nap. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, well, and, th- and you realize that's just stupid. So then the, f- the next thing you do, you figure out, it's like, okay, I have to get up, take a shower, get dressed, have breakfast, like I'm about to walk out the door and, and then go into my office. Okay. Well, I, I don't do that, so... You know, so that will, at least for me. I do the way that you just described as stupid. Yeah. Well, for me, it didn't work <laughs> because I was then tempted to go and, 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 and fall back asleep, you know, take a nap. And uh, that's just, that was too tempting. Well, I'm not going to fall back asleep once my brain's active and working. But, okay, I mean, because we have this stand-up every day and the stand-up's at like 7.30. Do you stand up so, in your pajamas? Well, I, I, I'm in my pajamas, but I'm usually sitting for the stand-up. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's 7.30 AM here. And, um, it's, it's so that it can start relatively early for the guys who are on the, um, East coast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, I'm in there. I'm, I'm barely awake, but then by the end of the standup, I'm a little bit awake <laughs> and then right. just start coding. And then there's a point where I realize, oh, yeah, you know what? I kind of want to have a shower right now. And then I'll just go and have a shower and get up properly. Right. Well, this is the next step. I think where it takes, sometimes it takes a year or two to get past this, which is where you, you're still a little too willing to do um, sort of like personal errands or have like phone calls with friends during the middle of the day. Um, you know, people call you up and be like, hey, what's going on? You know, like, as if, it's the, <laughs> like if it's a Saturday afternoon or something. And, you know, now I'm pretty good. Usually I just, I just sort of say, well, look, let me, let me call you either tonight or the week over the weekend. But you know, I, or the early first couple of years, I think I would still do that. Now I'm pretty, I'm pretty disciplined. I don't like, I don't do much of that. And that makes me really productive. Anyway, I think if you get people who know how to structure their day and know how to work alone and know how to collaborate, sort of like are good at communicating either via email or phone or chat, um, and don't have to feel like they're looking at you right in the eye to get something across. I think you can, you can work pretty well. I mean, one thing I'll say is Guyon, who, you know, I've been collaborating with on multiple projects and of course, Zappard for the last, you know, two years or whatever. He's, he's been in England and uh, now Norway and uh, I've only seen him once. 
right? So yeah, exactly. So it can work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it can work. So uh, you know, but you know, it's funny. We're you know we're talking about collaborating. <laughs> so last week, you're like, well, okay, well, what are we gonna do for like bugs? Because you started going through the first version of some of the stuff I built on Anyfu, and you're like, well, where do I write down the bugs? And you, first, you email me like, and I got like ten emails from you. I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, you know? Well, the reason, by the way, the reason why I did that was because each one is like a little chunk of work, and I thought that you could just kind of file it away in your emailing system. I could attach screenshots to it and it would just be an easy way for us to kind of go through things one at a time. But then I found out you, you don't like to work e- with email that way. <laughs> no, actually. Well, okay. Yeah. At first I thought that was just, that just sucked. Cause I, I like to keep, I wouldn't call it inbox <laughs> zero or zero inbox or whatever it is, but I like to keep it to a manageable two or three unanswered emails and it gets more like five or six emails. There's like to do items and I, I, it drives me nuts. So when, when that's why when people send me a bunch of emails like that, I get kind of frustrated because it's like, you're, you're, you're intruding on my personal task list. You're like saying, Hey, right. do this, do that. Ah, uh, so, but then you were like, well, what do we, use? you know, if you don't want to use email, what do we use? And I said, well, I, my suggestion was Asana, which right. he was, the, I guess, one of the co-founders of Facebook, um, Dustin, I don't know, whatever his last name is, and um, one of the other um, big tech tech guys at uh, Facebook. So they started this company called Asana, which is just sort of like a, you know, essentially like a web collaboration platform, right? Mostly, you know, shared tasks and um, things like that. And, um, it looked really cool. Cause I know Uber's trying that out and, and I, and I had seen six months ago, some kind of like web demo. It looked pretty neat. And, uh, we tried it and it was hilarious because you're like, I can't use this. This sucks. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> well, it, I don't like to bad mouth other people's kind of hard work. And I know that they're trying to build a business, but just for me personally, I'm sure that it's, it's great for other people, but just for me personally, I've got this thing like it's sort of like a completely live Ajaxy environment where everything's live and you can kind of type in, but somehow it didn't quite gel for me anyway, as it, it was, it was just awkward and difficult to actually use because was it really live or was it not live? You know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, was well, it dynamic or was it not dynamic? And you know, well, that I didn't think that was a problem. What I thought was a problem was that it was just, um, you had like your list of tasks and yeah. if there was a, an attached image, there was no thumbnail. If there were details, those weren't visible in the main list. You had to like go and click on it to see. And that's what irritated me. So it's like you had to click on each individual task to kind of get to just some basic, almost high-level information. And I, I thought the design was a little bit – I thought the whole thing was a little bit like an overcooked ham. It was just a little too much. Active Collab is the one that we're using with Company 52. And that so far is the best one that I've actually seen. Okay. It just seems to have – Everything that you need, including invoicing and time tracking, um, just the way that it splits up the projects, the interface is really crisp and clear. Everything that you need's there. That the the crazy thing about Active Collab is it's not it's not available in the cloud. <laughs> it's <laughs> only available uh, to install on your own server. So it's software that you download and install on your own server. It's good because it's like it's a one time investment of I don't know whether it's three hundred or five hundred dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. So your team buys it and you can use it. And like I said, it's, it's the best collaboration software I've seen. Um, but the sad thing is, is you, there's no way to just get it for like 10, 10 bucks a month or something. Huh. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I guess what we're doing temporarily, I will probably come up with something better, but temporarily we're just having a, a, a text document of to do items in our shared Dropbox folder. 
Yeah. Now that is ghetto fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Which is fine. I mean, you know, for me, really, I mean, I'm I just have like a list of them a text file of like, you know, what are the like the, the five or ten things that I'm thinking about next? I mean, anything beyond that, it's just so far off, it's like it doesn't even matter. And um even if you'd email me stuff, I would end up just cutting and pasting it in this little to-do list on my on my desktop. Anyway. I think it's fine. The only problem with it is is that you can't attach images, but then I was thinking, well, I can just use TwitPic and do something like that. So I'll just put a little link to an image if I have to. Apart from that, it's fine. I mean, it, it updates you. You get a little growl, right? Yeah. So you, well, you know, you'll I see. Because yeah, because I, I probably will, but I don't even look at growl that much. I mean, I think I would probably look at my to-do list, and then every once in a while, once I start knocking a few things out, I'll go back and take a look at the Dropbox and documents see if there's anything in there that's new that you've added that's probably what i would do i mean i haven't done it so i'm just guessing i mean really i just have my list of all those things that you initially made plus all the things that i know need to get done well here's one thing i'll say is um and we can i think we should get into any food later but not right now but the thing is sure. that um just in terms of collaboration it's like i have a list of bigger things to work on anyway and the things that you found are like little bugs or little little things and so it's like ah, those are those are minor compared to like these big structural things that need to be worked on first but mm-hmm. so. so you want to you you want to structure this show so we talk about the anyfu stuff at the end of the show and we do different stuff now or you want to talk about the anyfu stuff now and different stuff later? i think we should talk about anyfu later and, and the reason is this you know it's funny so i talked to uh, phil amen um who friend of mine um who we had on the show who was you know a co-founder of my first company um you know, he called me and, you know, he's, a, he's listened to every episode of the show. So he's a fan of the show and, and likes it. And he, he, he gave me a little feedback. He's like, you know, I'm not sure you should start with any food because if people are new to the show, they're going to not going to know what the hell you're talking about. Like if it's the very first show they've listened to, you're all of a sudden launching any food. There's no context. And which kind of reminds me of like shows like Lost. There was like, if you came in, you, it was really hard to get a foothold. And if you didn't watch in the first season, you, is, even though they would try and, and give you these sort of catch up shows um you just felt like it was just too too much work to, to to jump on yeah and i think i think you can do it but i think it's better to like talk more generally and you know we can talk about topics or things and you know our, our stories or whatever and then kind of um you know we can do like you know we should probably generally try and do like a little uh, 30 second summary of what what anifu is anyway and then and then go into it sure. that, that was i thought that was good uh, feedback uh, mm. I've thought about that. For, uh, we've talked about that before, and, and I think, and, I, and I've, I've always thought that that was a, probably the smartest way to do things. But sometimes I just get lazy, and you start asking about it, and I was like, ah, whatever, you know. But I, he did bring that up. Ago. He made a good point and reminded me that that's probably not the best, the best approach. So I'm a great believer in banking enthusiasm. Okay. So uh, we on on. Um I don't know the, what that means, but on startup on startups for the rest of us, um, we spoke about that a little bit, and this is this is my my uh, term that I've coined, just like you've coined luck surface area, I've coined banking enthusiasm, and um, so a part of that is when we talk on a show and I'm enthusiastic about something, I want to talk about it because when I'm in that mood and I'm enthusiastic, yep, let's bank this enthusiasm and get that out of the way right now. So I kind of think that potentially, if we're talking about what we really want to talk about, it should translate to a better show for all rather than us trying to structure the show. Well, I, don't, so- I agree. I don't like overly structured things. I just, that the, just one of the couple things, there's just a couple really basic rules of thumb um, 
and that we should probably try and stick to. And, and one of them, I think one of them is like, you know, start, start with something that allows new listeners to feel like they can get a foothold and decide whether they like the show. Cause if they spend, if we spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes that we have the last couple of shows going straight into any foo and they yeah. have no contacts after five, 10 minutes, they're like, I, I don't know what those guys are talking about. Eh, sure. Screw it. Well, mm-hmm. let's give it a try. So, um, well, of course, we'll never to, know. I mean, it's just a test. We, we don't get the kind of feedback. We would never know, right? It's not like someone says, hey, I tried your, I tried your, uh, listening to your stupid podcast, but I quit after 10 minutes because I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Bye. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody says anything like that. So. so, just to follow up with the banking enthusiasm concept, basically, we, we were talking, what was it, Rob? I think Rob asked a question like, what, what does your day look like, your working day? And I had said that you, you had said something about how you like to, it, it, I think it was about context switching. Like how, how do you work between your clients and, and your work? Sure. And, and what I said was I actually like to bank enthusiasm. So basically if I'm really in the mood to work on Pluggy or I'm really in the mood to work on any foo, I'll do that. You know, I'll do that ahead of client work and then do the client work at the end of the day, because essentially that's, I, I think that I'll get more from that. Whereas with a client's work, it's usually, you know, a specific task that you have to do. So it doesn't really make a difference whether you're enthusiastic about it or not. I mean, you just have to do that task, <laughs> right? You know, you've got to program a certain fe- feature or a certain function. But when it's your own business, um, I think it's important that you're in the right frame of mind to be working on it when you are. Well, I, I, I think uh, I think of uh, enthusiasm, working with enthusiasm. It's kind of like when you're running with the wind at your back. It makes you go a little faster. Right. Um, so if if it's there, just go with it. Now, you got to be careful because that can turn into a rationalization where you're always just working on your own stuff and you're not, you're working on stuff that you want to work on and not stuff that you should be doing. And unfortunately the rest of the world doesn't always prioritize things like you do, like yeah. are not going to pay you to just work on things you're enthusiastic about. Now, if, if you're able to say, okay, well, I'm going to break my day up in two, or I'm going to give myself two hours today to work on a side project or whatever. And right now I'm just, I've been thinking about it all night long. It's the first thing I thought of this morning and then when I woke up, so I'm just going to launch into it. And you can, you can literally cut it after a couple hours. You can stop cold and say, all right, I'm switching directions and moving on something else. Then fine, do that. But you got to be careful that it doesn't turn into something like a five hour thing. And you're just like, oh crap, I didn't get any client work done. Cause I just got so excited about this. And since I'm so excited about it, I couldn't get myself to quit. And which is problem for me. Sometimes I, I have to be careful because sometimes I'm, Sometimes I'm good at stopping and sometimes I'm not. Well, but what can happen is you can do the banking enthusiasm thing and then work like crazy. And then maybe it stretches to five hours. And then all of a sudden you've got X number of hours to get your client work done. And then that's a new um, impetus because you've got the pressure to get the client work done. So the pressure keeps you going kind of like caffeine for the second half of the day. And the enthusiasm keeps you going for the first half of the day. Yeah. And that can work too. You know, if you, if you can work under pressure now, I think a lot of times it comes down to knowing yourself and right. it, it, it's all these things really just depend on the kind of person you are and the kind of projects you have. I mean, they're so context dependent and like for you not having kids and not having, you don't really have any big outside activities other than work or your side projects. So it's not like, you know, you have to stop your day at four or five or six o'clock because you have these other activities. You can just like stick, take a break you know, have dinner and then just keep on going till 11, 12 at night, right? You have that flexibility in your schedule. I mean, I'm sure you don't like, wouldn't want to do that every day, but it's there for you, right? Yeah. For yeah, me, great. that's not really there because, you know, I have to take the kids at like, depending on the day, five, five thirty, maybe six o'clock and I have a hard stop. And then by the time the kids are down and we eat dinner at night, 
I mean, I'm just wiped out. I mean, I got very little energy after dinner to work on anything substantial, unless it's an emergency. I mean, there's always an emergency situation where you can just like say, all right, screw it. I'm going to work for two, three hours on this, but I can't do it very often. So I can't really um, count on, on that uh, sort of margin of safety. Um, so that's, for me, that's, that's a little bit of a thing. So if it's, if I work on something, you know, past lunchtime and it's, and it's like two or three o'clock and then I only get like, leave myself like two hours left and I haven't done any client work. I mean, that's bad because I'm okay. kind of screwed. <laughs> right. So anyway, it's just, I think it depends, but I generally agree, um, that, you know, you try, if you can go with, enthusi- if you can use the enthusiasm as an extra sort of, like you said, you know, like caffeine or something, do it. But, um, I don't know, man. It just depends. For me, I have to, I have to, I have to be a little more disciplined because um, I don't have the best self control. Once I get going, <laughs> I have a hard time stopping. Cool. So, um, did you see any good stories on uh, Hacker News this week? There's been there's been a lot of um, stuff relating to, I guess, quantum theory <laughs> and oh, just yeah. stuff like that. Have you have you noticed all that? Yeah. Stuff so going? I read a few of those. So let's see. What was one? Of, one of them was um, about. The neutrino experiment. The neutrinos being faster than the speed of light. It um, it's uh, what's it? It's the the big hadron collider, whatever collider. And um, and so I guess the first time they ran that experiment, there was a lot of uh, skepticism among the science community. Obviously, right? I mean, the the speed of light is sort of a universal law that's been verified in numerous ways throughout you know a number of experiments throughout a number of years. So it's not it's not something that's really you know, in, in question. Yeah. So when experiment says, Hey, you know, speed of life actually isn't limit. They're kind of like, you know, bullshit. What yeah, is like saying gravity doesn't exist or something? Yeah. What did you screw up? You knuckleheads, you know, test your equipment, yeah. test your data. You did something wrong. And I guess they redid the experiment. And I think they said something that was like 600 nanoseconds faster than the speed of light. I mean, it's not like it was like, well, you can actually go a hundred times the speed of light. It's like some really small amount. And I mean, it still needs to be verified. It hasn't been verified independently. There's another lab. I think the, the only lab that really has the equipment to verify it is uh, Fermilab, which is, um, I think it's still, run, I think it's actually still run by uh, my, uh, my alma mater, University of Chicago. I think they still run Fermilab. And, but they don't have, they said they don't have quite the, as high quality time equipment as they do at the Hadron Collider. So they have to get some more equipment in place. And once they have that, then they'll be able to give it a go and see if they can, uh, you know, replicate the uh, same results. Yeah. So there was that. And then there was another one about, and I, I can't have, I can't give you the details in, in as eloquent a way as you just gave, but um, <laughs> I don't know that eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically physicists um, extracted light from a void <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I read that one last night too. Do you want to give the summary? Or you want me to give it? No, to no. I don't want to give a summary because I'll just I'll just fluff it up. I, I mean, I, that was the one. See, occasionally before the shows, if there's a couple of of articles that were interesting, but I, I that I read them like four or five days ago, and they're complicated, I'll I'll sometimes do a quick review just to kind of remember what the key points were. And I was going to do that, but I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is going to be a summary. But the, the issue was they were able to. Um, Let's see what was it. We're blank here. You have to cut this out for a second. Um, okay, well, I'll. I'll um, oh, you go start. You go ahead and start. Okay, sure. Well, physicists in Sweden say they've managed to create light from a vacuum, the closest thing to empty space known to exist. Um, in findings published this week in the research of uh, journal Nature, the scientists said they verified an effect predicted over forty years ago by by capturing some of the particles of light or photons that constantly appear and disappear in the vacuum. 
what is it? Some kind of uh, was it the uncertainty principle or something like that? Iceberg uncertainty principle that you can, right. yeah, right. You can know where, where something is or where it's going or where the speed it's moving or something. You can't know both of them at the same time. Or and by the other thing is the um, that if you by simply observing a particle, it affects the particle. Like that. I tell you, if if I went back to college, I would like to do the quantum theory and and just do physics from that point of view. I would really really like that. Well, you know, that's a hardcore math even to get up to that level. I mean, to to get up to sort of like quantum, you know, quantum, even if you do like quantum mechanics at an undergraduate level, which is like upper division undergraduate, which is sort of like third or fourth year, you take that like your junior, maybe your, or maybe your junior, but probably your senior year in physics. Um, I mean, you have to do some pretty substantial math. It's it's hard. It's You know, which is funny because it reminds me of another, there was another um, article called um, Why Science Majors Change Their Minds. <laughs> and basically because it's so damn hard. <laughs> and and, and the, the issue is, is that, yeah, you know, chemistry, physics, math, a lot of the engineering stuff, the GPAs are actually lower than they are in, like, say, like your humanities or, you know, or, you know, social sciences. But, you know, you, you, so the GPAs are lower and it's just, uh, lower and it's just hard damn work. Um, whereas you could just write a paper. I mean, papers are kind of were always annoying and boring to write for me. But it was hard to get less than sort of like a B minus, even if you kind of half-assed it. But man, in, an, in, a, in a sort of a, in a, in a math, in like one of these like, um, you know, upper division math courses that I was taking or physics courses, I mean, you could get a D easily. Hmm. There's no, I mean, yeah, they could just, you could easily, um, I mean, they, they had no problem handing out a D. I mean, it was, they were, you know, it was, um, especially Chicago where I went, I mean, they were brutal. So I, I definitely understand that. So if you were to go back, it's like I think it's one of those things. It's like this physics for poets. It sounds really fun to talk about, but the the, the how brutally hard it is to master the the fundamentals to actually do it. It's it's pretty challenging. So there was there was another one as well, and I don't have the title. I don't have the link, but it was talking about the 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 wave versus the particle, and it was wave some kind of duality. And there was some kind of experiment that really kind of showed it or proved it. And I wish I had. I wish I had that information because I love that concept that basically matter is built out of these little things that can either be a particle or a wave. It's just very, very, like they can be light or... It kind of depends on the context of what you're talking about. So I, you know, I, I wasn't a physics guy, I was pure math. So but what I remember about that is like, depending on how you were looking at the problem, it's like, it is a wave, but it's also a particle. And so you, you would interpret it as a wave in the context of some types of problems, because that was the easiest way to think about it or just, or to solve the problem. And in other ways it was a particle, but I guess there's just probably also something more fundamental about the wave particle duality. I'm sure you could look it up on Wikipedia, <laughs> no more, no more about yeah. it than I do in about 30 seconds. But um, one thing I wanted to say is the, um, the, the part about the creating photons in a vacuum, because mm-hmm. it, so it would speed, they would speed up, these particles to like 25% of the the speed of light using some kind of magnetic wave or something like that. But what was interesting, it kind of reminded me of like, they had these things that were called virtual particles. Okay. It was like a virtual photon. And if you created some kind of like vibration or something like that with these, with this magnetic field, it would like a real photons would show. Actually, it was actually, they detected the radiation from the real photon. It sort of pop into existence for a nanosecond, right? It was like, what it was like, it kind of reminded me of like, so this vacuum isn't empty. But the vacuum, it's kind of like your class. Your, it's like your, it's like non-instantiated objects. Like the class, the definitions are there, but you just got to pump a little bit of energy and then you have an actual object's been created. 
Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, good, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so it's like you have the, the vacuum is sort of like your, um, the structure of matter, the sort of the equivalent of like class definitions are all embedded in the vacuum. There's no physicality to it. There's no memory being taken up to it. But if you can just, you know, generate a little bit of this, um, you know, magic uh, energy into it, then uh, presto, you have real, um, real particles. Uh, I thought that was cool. Well, I remember, uh, I can't remember the specific uh, book that I was reading, but when I was, I don't know, like 18 or something, I was reading some kind of spiritual book. And um, they said that, that, the 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 this kind of scientific reason that they gave for um when a when a fakir could create something out of nothing they said a, that a what, what he did, a what could like they're called a fakir a fakir yeah that's what they're called I don't even know what that F-A-K-I-R. is F A K I R so basically it's like a uh, like a kind is of is this like a made kind of up thing. term no 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 not at all I mean, this isn't a scientific term this is a what is this it's it's okay now I'm gonna have to look hold on F-A-K-I-R. The term has also been used to refer to Hindu and Buddhist ascetics, uh, sadhus, gurus, swamis, and yogis. It's that kind of a concept, right? So, yeah? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they spoke in this book about how, with consciousness, what, they would, what, what the fakir would do would be to harness um, the universe at the level we're talking about, this quantum level, bring, bring, bring these... Uh, I guess bring these quantum this quantum foam and and gradually lower its vibration and turn it into into the reality. Now I'm not saying that obviously that I believe this or anything like that. I'm just saying it's really interesting that 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 they said that all those years ago and this seems kind of somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminds I was just my kids were watching this movie called The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is I don't know probably a few years old at this point, four or five years old maybe, um, and. Uh, Kind of a silly movie, but sort of, I can't remember, uh, um, Cage. Uh, what's the guy, last name Cage? Um, famous actor, come on, what's his name? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage. So he's like the sorcerer comes back. He was a, a one of Merlin's apprentices. Um, and he comes back and like his apprentice, this guy who's like this chosen one kind of thing, it turns out he's like this physics nerd. And mm-hmm. um, and it, it they try to like, bridge the gap between like sorcery and physics that like we'll see like he's like so Nicolas Cage is explaining he's like so all matter is composed of like these vibrating particles and what you do is use your mind to slow down the particles and control it and it was so funny how they you know try and explain this and there I'm, you go see it's the same kind of thing yeah, they, they must, I'm sure they must have been reading that book I was talking about or something yeah well you know it's like okay so we're gonna make this like you know if you think when they're writing this 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 movie you know, they're, they're like, oh, okay, well, we got this physics guy. And so let's like, how, how can we talk about sorcery in a way that sort of seems kind of sciencey and can we bridge gaps? So, yeah. Well, you know, oh, speaking of movies, you want to talk movies for a second? Yeah, I've got, I've got something to talk about as well, yeah. Okay, so um, remember they had that idea for the, um, for the, the movie idea? Yeah. For, uh, it was sort of like uh, Ocean's Eleven meets like Area 51. So you have a bunch of guys break into Area 51 kind of thing. Okay, yeah. So we talked about that. I was, I don't know, it was like four or five months ago. Maybe it was that long ago, but, um, and I, I told you, I told a, uh, a friend of mine who's a writer about it and he actually wrote the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So I haven't read it yet, but he says he's done. So he's going to, I guess he wants to give me a physical copy. He's real paranoid about emailing copies of a screenplay, but apparently it's done. Although I think it's been, it's, it's morphed a little bit. It's more like, it's more like the hangover. It's more like the hangover meets in area 51, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, I don't know. Sounds kind of uh, funny. But. Have you ever heard of a show called John Doe? No. 
So John Doe, I think it's it's on Hulu. Um, and basically it's a 2003 show. And basically it's about this guy who wakes up in the middle of an island and he knows everything. He knows all the knowledge, but he just doesn't know who he is. So he basically knows everything. Like he, he could tell you absolutely anything that's written down in human knowledge. He knows it. Wait, was this a movie or a TV show? A TV show. Yeah, I think I saw an episode, of, like the first episode. Was he wake up? Was he like pulled out of the water or something like that? Something like that, right? So yeah, he's, he wakes up in an island off San Francisco. Yeah, okay, okay, right. And they're like <laughs> questioning him in like in a police station or something. And he ends up helping the police. So basically every, every week they have, they have John Doe helping the police and he kind of helps them solve a crime of some kind or another. So he, he's real great because he's like a walking database and he knows all the facts and figures. Uh, right. But he's just, he just doesn't know who he is. Right, okay. So there, <laughs> so there was this. There, there was a couple of funny things that happened in that show, and just really cracked me up. Like uh, you know, when I start watching a show, I get kind of addicted and watch the whole thing. But this show's kind no, of. When you say just, you watch the whole thing, you mean you watch the whole damn series? Like, 20, like, like yeah, twenty one, twenty one episodes in just a couple of weeks, right? Watching it for like a couple of episodes a night, and um, it's a little bit like MacGyver. <laughs> you remember MacGyver? Yeah, sure. So they, he, he kind of makes things and does things. Mm-hmm. And um, one of one of the episodes, he was in a room questioning a suspect. So basically, he and the police say to the suspect, "Okay, how can you prove where you were?" And the suspect goes, "Well, I was um, talking to my girlfriend on the internet." And the guy goes, "Oh yeah, what was the IP address?" And, then the, and the guy goes, "One two seven dot two four dot four dot five. And I was like yeah this this guy knows everything in the world and so so then so so now i'm thinking okay so he knows everything in the world so he's obviously gonna say what what you know he should say and he goes that's not your girlfriend that's a sex site (laughs) 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 so um well you know what i'm really happy that uh, fringe is back on although it's going off again you know, well, it, it, what, it, it, there's what, one more show. Well, actually, you know, let's not give away anything. I saw well, uh, you couldn't even give away anything if you told people what actually happened. Yeah, but don't even come close. As <laughs> people are going to be like turning off the show. But um, so they're going to. I guess they're going on like the. It's like they call it the fall see the finale. So it's like they're not going to come back till like sometime in I don't know January or February. Oh, huh? okay. That sucks. I'm like. Well, after already <laughs> six episodes. Yeah, it feels like it feels like we've only had like a handful of episodes. I'm like, well, what the hell are you talking about? You're off already? That's like the only show that I watch that I really look forward to. Everything else is just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I'll watch, like, what is it I watch? It's, I'll watch, like, Millionaire Matchmaker with Sandy. <laughs> you seen that <laughs> that's one? A, yeah, that's hilarious. That is funny show. That's a funny show to, like, watch with your wife or girlfriend or whatever, because it's just people are so ridiculous. They're such tools. It's so funny to these guys that come on there. You're just like... How do you come on there and make yourself look like such an ass? I mean, these guys so arrogant and just yeah. completely unaware of 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 the of their sort <laughs> of social uh, incompetence. Oh my god! But um, anyway, Fringe is the only thing, only thing. But you know what's coming on? 2013, Arrested Development on Netflix. They're now, starting. What, what, is Arrested Development good? I mean, what is that? I don't know. What? what Are you kidding me? That's no. the funniest show. Okay, now they'll hear. Okay, so that would be my number one recommendation. So if you haven't watched it and you're like looking, start watching Rest Development. You know the first, you know episode. That's your next. That's your that's your homework. You're gonna but, love like, it. Like, what's the what's the big deal that it's coming back on Netflix? I mean, because has it been it was off a for a few fan- years. Yeah, well, it was a fantastic show, and I, it was on. I believe it was Fox or something, and they they ran for like three or four seasons, maybe 
yeah, something like that. Maybe three seasons, and f- uh, and it killed it. And it won all of these, you know, awards. It was, it was, you know, won a lot of Emmys and stuff. It was so well done, it was so funny and clever, and uh, just different. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they just they killed it. Um, and and then it was like one of these things that became kind of like a cult classic, like after after it was killed. I mean, you know, people across campus, you know, like college campuses, like everyone watches the DVDs. So funny. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, and I always kind of thought, you know, cause you, you heard that, um, I think we even talked about this too, about yeah, how we did yeah. try and make like deals with bringing back some of these shows. And I was kind of hoping but the two shows that I wanted to bring back Stargate universe, Stargate universe and Arrested development. If they, I would love it. But I mean, it sounds like Arrested development had that whole cult thing. So probably more of an, more of a, an audience potential than the Stargate. I don't universe. know. I'd have to do, we could go on Wikipedia and find out what their uh, numbers were relative to one another, but you could also be like, well, what were the, what were the production costs? I mean, um, well, but it can also be related to how much of a cult it's grown into. So if it's really, really become a massive cult after the fact, yeah. then there's going to be, you know, a big audience. Yeah. So I don't know. That was really exciting to hear that. So I, you know, I'm not really, but you know, a lot of people were like calling Netflix's time of death. I, I think the, uh, that was rumors of its death were greatly exaggerated. I think, <laughs> I think Netflix has still got a lot in them. I mean, they're going to have, you think buy, buy Netflix. Uh, yeah. Buy well, shares. When they, when they went that, I haven't looked at their stock price, but when they had that initial huge, you know, uh, drop in their stock price, I'm like, that was a buying opportunity. People always overreact both on the upside and downside. When you see huge crashes in a stock like that, and especially when it's something that has a lot of value and has some really smart management and, and there's a really good product, it's like, I don't know. That's, that would be something that I would, uh, you know, that would be a good, that'd be a buying opportunity. Okay, so can we talk about any food yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, let's talk about it. Go ahead. Okay, so... um. We'll do okay. What we need to do if we're gonna do it, we gotta do like in in Lost, where they would do like the first like minute or two, and they would kind of a synopsis of the entire the entire series in like thirty seconds. All right. Well, I did it last time. Go ahead. So. No, do it. You do a better job. Good. You do the summary. Good. Anyfoo is um, a just-in-time expertise site that myself and Jason are building, and um, it is you can go on that site and you can find an expert and hire them to screen share with you or work on a very hard problem that you may have. And um, the minimum price point is $100 an hour. And it's essentially different. Where Odesk and Elance are the uh, penny shops, Anifu is the Tiffany's of that space. Yeah. So How's that, that? Exactly. So, you know, if you need help with a problem, you want to get insight into like a new technology or some, or in some, uh, there's some area that you're thinking about, you need, uh, need some advice, um, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you'd want to talk to an expert in, uh, in some area. So, yeah, and we've been working on it. We, we started the idea, and it was like, and it was July, which really when we started getting going on it a little bit. And um, so I guess we've been working on it since July, right? So I have been tasked with the IP stuff and the general um, legal terms and conditions pages and all that. Right. So I've been looking at Odesk um, and the way that they do it pretty closely. And they really have one, one page, one terms and condition page. And it has... On, on the page and the way that they've done it, it has everything, just structurally, from a structure point of view, it has everything we would need and more. Um, but the question is, is like, this is what I want to talk to you about. What is the best way to do? I mean, I know we can't copy their terms and conditions word for word because then we would get done for copyright infringement. Um, I wonder if you could copyright infringement on a legal document. I, I, I heard, I can't remember where I heard from, but I did hear that that was a concern. 
that, that basically it is copyright to them. Huh. So, so what we would have to do is we would have to basically go through it and take, take the points. I don't think we could do a copy and paste job. I just don't think we could. We'd have to do the points and reword it and sort of say it in the way that we wanted to say it. Us or give it to um, a lawyer and get them to do it. Either way, it's going to be pretty painful. Yeah, it's a painful product. That's why I asked you to do it. <laughs> I, yeah, but I mean, it's I, I, all back end. I'm like, well, you got to do some pain. You got to suffer too. Uh, well, I not really just suffer, but you know, it's got to get done, and it's going to take some time. So you know, if I'm. But what do you? I mean, are you leaning more towards us doing it, or are you leaning towards us getting a lawyer to do it? Okay, I don't want to spend a lot of money out of the gate. We've already spent some money in the design, uh, you know, logo and character and that's that kind of stuff. So I'd rather not spend thousands of dollars on some of these documents. What I think we can do is at least for the first stage is, you know, we can write, we can take the documents, we can take examples of Odesk and Elance other place, just kind of look at their, what, what are the main points? And we can write in our own language. We got to just make sure we're covering our bases we don't have to, you don't have to copy the language, but that's what most of these startups do. They don't just sit there and go and, and unless they're funded and they can go and spend thirty grand and pay some lawyers to to, to here's what the lawyers do. The lawyers take boilerplate stuff themselves anyway. That's what they okay, do. Okay, but do we write it in legalese or do we write it in just English? I think we would just kind of write it in, in English as, as best we can and just write it in, in simple and say this is it and and then but only do that for the short period of time. If we start getting a little bit of traction. Then we can make a jump and um and and pay a little bit of money to uh to an attorney. Okay. I mean, do so you, can we, I mean, can we just really, do? Would you really what? want to spend five to ten thousand dollars for three legal documents? No, right I, I wouldn't. But I, I want to get it right. You know. So I mean, is it is it sufficient to just do bullet points to just break down everything that that's that's important that we need to say? We can use them theirs as a template and just get the bullet points and just say, you know, you. Any work that you do will belong to the person who's paying you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, End of story. I, I mean, I think when you write it in legalese, they're really trying to cover every single base so that you can't misinterpret it. That's why it's like so convoluted, and they and they and they say things so specifically. Um, I think if you went over and you said, "All right, what are you know what are the ten or twenty points that they're trying to cover?" and write down like what we should probably do is for each one of those points, write down, read it, and then sort of paraphrase it paraphrase it in human English, in your own words, what it is they're saying. Okay. And then you and I will take your paraphrasing of that stuff. And then we'll try and write a nice, clear, succinct version of it. I think that way we don't, we're not cut and pasting anyone's um, documents or anything like that. And we, and we need to adjust things for ourselves because Odesk and Elance, these other things, they're not doing the same thing we're doing. No, I know. But it, it seems to me that like everything that they have, it doesn't seem like there's any fluff in there. Like everything in those terms and conditions is there for a reason. Right. Right. That's the thing. And they're massive. Right. They're massive. Um, I just noticed that my daughter, Izzy, wrote in Permanent Magic Marker, Izzy was here in sort of, but it's, it's Izzy on our couch on the futon in the office. I'm taking a look at this black mark, and I'm like, what is that black mark? And it says I-Z-Z-Y, and it says was, is W-E-S. <laughs> or Izzy's five, and I said she's in kindergarten. Yeah. Like, on the one hand, my wife is going to be furious. On the other hand, I'm like, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> she's getting better. She's, she's getting, getting better. Oh, she's she's going to be bombing in, the whole town soon. She's going to be in trouble as soon as I walk out of here and tell uh, Sandy. You, you know, know, that's what that's called, bombing, right? 
that's where you go and uh, put your signature everywhere. Bombing? They call it, is that yeah. an English term? The, no, it's an American term. It's graffiti. Oh, is it? They you're, call it you're a bomber, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Oh, about Lego. So, yeah. Um, I, I can't remember. What was your last point? I missed it. I totally My lost. last point is, is there is a huge amount of it and we have to do it. Yeah, well, you have to do the first part, which is <laughs> great. Well, yeah, well, dude, yeah, I'm building the whole freaking site. You can at least, you know, you built the schedule, or you got, you got some other stuff to do. Well, you know? you're building the whole site, but not because I've asked you to. That's by choice. Like it's, it's, it's the reverse. I want to help you, but you won't let me. Well, I, what I don't want to do is because what's going to happen is you and I are going to have all of this meta talk about every stupid little thing, and it's going to take four times as long. Right. Well, I just changed this and I named this variable and I moved this. I was like, you know what? I don't want to have those conversations. They're stupid, boring, time-consuming, pointless conversations. You know, it's just we're going to have to spend so much time. Oh, well, I copied this file over here and I just changed this class and now this does this and I did this. Does that work for you? It's like, I, you know, it's just we're, we're, it's like two cooks in a small kitchen. It's just let one person cook it and the other person go do something else. And, you know, I know you and I are both used to, you and I are both have the capability to build this stuff. And it's like, fine, I'll do it. You did the scheduler. You know, you did a great job in the scheduler. The scheduler was less work. So you have time in your hands. There's a couple other things that need to get done. We're, we're founders, you know, so it means we have to do every boring job as well as to every cool. fun so go go do some of the crap work <laughs> go do it go do it well you know <laughs> i mean you know so the yeah i mean i think if you do the first step which is just go paraphrase each article or each you know thing that they cover and then we'll go over we can go over that together and, and it might only turn out that 70 percent of them even apply you know so what's the what's the state of um of where you're at then with, um with the, with the yeah site. so um i i've i've got the um constructing the expertise part the only thing i want to uh, think i'm gonna try and finish up today is the um being able to like rearrange them in the order of them but um the um being able to you know create your ex your you know, edit and delete your expertises you know or or the individual highlights for your expertises that's all that all works so fine. this is your expert profile that you're using to right. hopefully entice uh, entice customers come along and buy your services Right. So like you might say, I have an expertise in MySQL and I have an expertise in JavaScript. I have an expertise in Node.js or whatever. Right. And yeah. then you'd have multiple highlights for each expertise. She's like, well, um, I wrote this book on JavaScript. I spoke at this conference. I built this open source project. I built this client project. You know, those are all examples of like, you know, what have you done to demonstrate that you're an expert? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so, um, and you, ha you have to have something to show. You can't just say, well, I'm really good. That doesn't, that's not going to really convince anybody. You know, you, that's not going to be real impressive. You're going to have to, um, you may be real, you may be an expert and have nothing public that you've done, but you're, you're not going to be able to charge as much because you're not going to be as, con as, as convincing to people. So we had um, the Pele brand guard, um, who runs a company called Pico Money? Uh, they they offered their services to us, and basically, Pico Money is an interesting thing. Just just Google it. Um, basically, it's your own virtual currency on Pico Money will allow you to build an economy around your apps on your own terms, not your bank or payment providers. So we just we decided that um, maybe it was a little bit too in depth for what we needed right now. But it's an interesting startup. I don't know if that's a bootstrappable startup. What do you think? I, you know, I don't know anything about that world, so I don't know how hard it is to, I mean, we have Diwala, which is another one that's, that's working on things like that. I mean, Stripe, um, you know, you have a 
you know, a bunch of these sort of payment processing startups because it's a painful problem. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know, but my, my thought in general is that, um, especially for a startup like ours, when we have so many questions, there's so little, that, there's so many things that we don't know for sure that we just kind of think might be true that I think for things, something like payment processing, we should just go with something that's kind of simple and tried and true, maybe not optimal, but works well-documented is done. Then we can then, you know, maybe six months from now, once we understand all the trade-offs, because there's trade-offs that we, 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 we think there are trade-offs, but we don't necessarily know there's trade-offs for sure until we've done them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll be able to come back in six months and say, okay, this turns out this is much slower than we thought it was going to be. This other thing's more expensive than we thought it was going to be. This other thing's easier than we thought it was going to be, whatever. So we'll know that stuff. And then we can have a more clear conversation with a company like, you know, Pico, uh, what's it called? Pico, what? Pico money. Pico money. And say, this is our situation. This is what we tried. Can you help us solve it better? But right. coming into it now, and especially with they're kind of still finishing up their product. They're like us. They're not, they're not completely live yet. They're still kind of in beta. Yeah. So they're still figuring out. We're still figuring. I, I always think it's a bad idea to have two startups kind of like working close together because now you've increased the chance that you're going to fail because neither of them really have their shit together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's, a, that's one way of looking at it. But another way of looking at it is two startups working together. You've got all of that passion, all of that kind of focus. There's, there's a lot more flexibility and maybe you could get that other startup to help you out, you know? Yeah, I don't, I'm not a buyer on that. <laughs> I, think it's, uh, I think it's just increasing a chance that you're screwed because it's like, you know, it could quite likely be that, and I'm not talking about Pico, I'm talking about any two startups, right? Because that happened with, um, with Prezo. You know, we tried to, which is my, my first big web startup, which is like a web-based version of PowerPoint I did back in uh, 2005, 2006. And what we tried to do to compete with um, Google um, was have a bunch of independent um, web apps all kind of combined together and create like interoperability between ours, ourselves. And um, it was, there was a spreadsheet called Edit Grid and there was, I think it's still around, um, there was a word processor, there was my presentation system and there was some other like more document management stuff. And, you know, it was just, it was just painful. You know, it's like everybody's still kind of struggling because everybody's still trying to struggle to get, get off the ground and stay afloat and stay alive. And so your problems, the things that you're trying to get going or working together are not real necessarily the highest thing on their priority list that week or that month. And it can kind of screw you if you're all like, you know, um, depending on one another. It's kind of like it's kind of like the slowest wheel, you know, problem, right? It's like you're only going to move as fast as your slowest wheel. So, so switching subjects, um, what did you think of the whole SOPA stuff? Um, that's, there's been a lot of buzz about that for the last week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I basically, my understanding it, it's like the, there was an older version of this that was a Senate that came out of the Senate. What was it called? Do you remember what the, the, the name of that bill was called? I don't remember that. No, some anti-piracy thing. And then that got shot down. And then this new one was going to allow like any site like Google or U- YouTube or Facebook or something that had any content on it that was infringing any copyright. If the copyright holders made some kind of complaint, like, the the site itself would be held liable to some degree and then and that some agency would have the ability to blacklist these sites and it would just turn out to be this massive nightmare it looks like it the 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 anti-sopa is getting some traction anyway um so there were 
there was an article on Boing Boing basically saying that internet giants have placed a full-page anti-soper ad in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it, 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 sounds, it sounds bad. It's like if, if you link to a YouTube, you know, if, if you post something on YouTube and link to it on Facebook and that happens to be something that was on Comedy Central or something like that, I, I'm just picking a random content provider. Mm-hmm. They can basically take you to court if this if Soper goes through. I mean, that's just insane, right? Yeah. Well, the copyright the the copyright company is basically the MPAA and the R was it the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association yeah. of America, right? RIAA. Yeah, and they're like they don't care, right? I mean, they're just trying to protect their. They're trying to maximize their interest. They're maximize. They don't really care if they you know break the internet. I mean, not really break the internet, but really screw up the the sort of uh, the modern web ecosystem they don't really but, care but why wouldn't they care i mean ultimately that's going to be worse for them I mean, no not really i mean these companies were more profitable more successful before before the uh, internet existed before the internet. But, yeah, yeah i mean there's old business models they're sort of like the i mean i, I wouldn't say that they're dying they're going to be around a while they're still too powerful and they still have too. they still control too much of the uh content and the and the distribution and stuff so um or at least the channels for developing the content so they're not going to go away, and so they're going to. They're kind of like a, they're like backed in a corner, and they're just going to keep doing nasty so stuff. So they're thinking like patent, like that kind of patent troll concept. So basically, if if they part, if they get this passed, then they can a- attack lots of little people and get lots of small amounts of money, and so as a result, they'll end up with a much bigger bottom line. Is that their general thinking? I don't know. You know, I didn't read. You probably. It sounds like you've read more about it than I have. I that kind of stuff I find just so irritating. Sometimes I have a hard time getting myself to read it because it just can put me in a bad mood. And it's just like, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. It's like yeah, what there's is, nothing what I can do about it. There's nothing I could do about it. It's just going to piss me off. So right, I, right. Sometimes, sometimes I get motivated to read stuff like that. But I just kept seeing that on Hacker News. I'm just like, I don't know. It's bad. You know, but it looks like enough people are aware of it. So me being upset about it doesn't make a difference because it's it's kind of enough people already know about it. So. So did you see the, um, another nice one on Hacker News was basically, when is the best time um, to post Hacker News story pickup rate? Well, first of all, look at you. You're like Mr. Link today. <laughs> hey, well. It's like you're Santa Claus with all your links. I'm loving it. Okay. So. Okay. Um, Just trying to keep the show going. Yeah. Good work. Well done. Okay. So, um, yeah. Um, when's the did best you see time? that? I did. I did. So what, Okay. So it's hnpickup.appspot.com. I just pinged you the link there. So it's kind of cool. Um, so I'm, what are they saying is the best time? That's what I can't work out. I can't really read that chart very well. First Red- of all, it's yeah. a, I guess so this is UTC plus eight. So what is that? UTC is like sort of like we're in Europe. Switzerland or something. Is that so you? So that is, so is us. CMT? We're not UTC. So UTC plus eight is like, is roughly us. Yeah, that's what I said. That's Pacific us. Time? UTC plus eight, right? That's us, right? It's- specific time for people who don't know where the hell we are. So um, let's see here. Average score, pickup ratio. So the pickup ratio is highest around like two and a half. What, what are they implying? I mean, is the pickup ratio the thing that you want or the thing that you don't want? So I pickup- think, okay, so newest stories, top average score, newest stories, bottom average score, pickup ratio. Okay, the impression I get is that when the red line is highest is the best time that is most likely that something is going to get picked up from the new page and get up, make it to the new, make it to the front page. Okay. So right now I'm looking at it Sunday, 14. This is all Sunday and this is all Sunday. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, at least people are thinking about it. I can't make head and tail of that chart, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, <laughs> at least I, I, people are thinking about it. I don't know. I mean, 
see, the thing is that there's so many factors. I mean, it depends on like holidays. It depends on, um, it could depend on other events that are going on. If people are distracted by other stuff that's happening in the world. But most importantly is that it probably depends. I mean, there's certain times that it, it, it depends if like, if you have something that's really competitive, meaning that it's a really good topic and it's a great title, then you mm-hmm. could you know, you, you probably want to make that thing sale, you know, like, like we've talked about middle of the week, you know, around 10, 9, 10, 11 AM Pacific time. That's when it's the most competitive, but if it gets to the front page, that's the most traffic you're going to get. But if you're something that's like, kind of like, you're not convinced it's absolutely going to go, then the weekends or in the evenings, it's, you have a little better, it's a little less, a little more forgiving that someone might come across it and give it a shot. But here's the other thing I've noticed too, is if you have an article that's kind of long, and it's not, people aren't going to vote. See, people do something like what I call like reflexive voting, like, they, like the SOPA stuff. People will, will upvote on that without reading it. Like yeah. I have done that stuff for me. Like people should know about it. Yeah, I agree with that, which is sort of like, yeah, I'm with you. You know, everybody needs mm-hmm. to know about this or that that's, this is really terrible or kind of thing. But if, you, if it's not that kind of a thing um, and it's more of um, that they have to read it, to really decide whether they care about it or not. It better not be too long during this busy times because they're not going to have time to read it because usually it's during the middle of the day when they're at work and they're not going to read something that's more than three or four paragraphs. And also they're not going to have time to read it before it then just slips off the front of the new page because during those busy times, it, it's, um, you know, you can be off the new page in like 25 minutes. Did you see, um, just switching the subject again, I've got nothing, so I'm just changing it, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and plus also, I'm just trying to switch over and we, we've, we've, we've covered that topic quite a lot as well. So I got, a, I got another topic to too. That. I want to talk. Okay, go. So. All right. Okay. So this isn't a, um, a story, but this is something I've just been uh, thinking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see. Well, he, remember this was, oh, this is probably, uh, eight, eight, 10 months ago. And I was talking about how I was having my son Colby, memorize sight words and it's i was the intrinsic versus the extrinsic motivation yes, exactly right so that's the intrinsic versus extrinsic so people who are new to that concept who haven't listened to the show for a long time essentially you you have internal motivations things that you do just because you're excited about it, and the things you do like because you get some kind of motivation external to you people tell you a good job people sing your praises you get paid money things like that um so Colby, this was, he was in first grade and he, you know, first in his first grade, they were trying to have them master first through third grade sight words and sight words are actually those things that Patrick McKenzie does when his, uh, with his, um, bingo card creator, mm-hmm. right. That's those cards have like sight words on them for kids. And, and so it's, and, and sight words are words that are like, kind of are not really easy to sound out that they're a little, um, irregular or whatever. So, he was he was kind of just you know moving along. It was like you know two thirds. It was probably March, and he was sort of like still hadn't finished you know his second grade sight words. And so I was like, well, Kobe, let's just blast through. Then I said, tell you what, if you can get the rest of these second grade words done today or by tomorrow, I'll go take you to get ice cream. And I'm yeah. we blew through them in two 15 minute sessions. He had them all <laughs> mastered. I'm like, well, Jesus. I mean, if that's all it takes. And so and I said, all right, Colby you know, what do you say we get the rest of the third grade ones and we'll do the same thing. Same thing. Week later, you know, I done the third grade ones, went to get ice cream. And so then I went on the internet, downloaded, you know, printed, made my own sheets for like fourth, fifth and sixth grade re- sight words. He had them all done within three more weeks or something like that. And then I started making more, uh, more of my own word list, basically off the stuff that he's reading. And it just dramatically improved his, uh, his reading performance overall. 
as you would imagine. All right. So what's the latest on that? Okay. Well, so, you know, he got up, he, you know, so he, he, I think he went from kind of a little below average in, in the reading, in his reading to, to towards the top of the class. Mm-hmm. And, and this was like, this is like 10 minutes of sight word stuff before we would do our reading. So every night we would do like, you know, 20 minutes, 15 to maybe 20 minutes of reading. And so we do like five to 10 minutes of sight words and then like 10 minutes of him reading to me, something like that. Mm. And so then, but then after that, after he kind of had done all the sight words, there really, there was no point in doing sight words anymore. And plus he really didn't like doing them. He found them really boring as you might imagine. So I was like, all right, we've had it done. Let's, let's just focus on pure reading. And so he, so that was fine. <clears throat> and so a couple things about this, which are interesting. Um, so uh, you, Colby is not very external. He does not have a lot of, he's not very responsive to extrinsic motivation, um, to things like, Hey, good job, Colby. Or, you know, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Like he just doesn't care. So he's more into the bribe concept. Yes. You know what Colby, <laughs> you know what Colby respects? Cold hard cash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the kid is this extreme capitalist. It's hilarious. So he's seven years old. He's second grade now, and he he he. Last year, I, I don't know if it's because of the, the kind of teacher he had or whatever. I mean, his behavior and everything was fine. But this year has been a little more of a struggle. He's, you know, we had like the parent teacher conference, and he's like, you know, Colby's he's been kind of disruptive, not paying attention, you know, just just unfocused. You know, like he's sitting there looking around and, and, and so the teacher was started sending home, she said, all right, every day he's going to send home a card with like five ratings, like on how much would he pay attention? Did he finish his homework in class? Was he disruptive? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And rating were one through five. Well, he was coming home with a lot of twos and threes, hmm. which is poor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Sandy was not happy about this as you might imagine he was she was really upset that he was you know getting in trouble or causing problems and um and not really causing too much but problem. That, that's weird because normally when you know kids are doing that because there's some kind of trouble at home or whatever and obviously like no. colby has as happy as larry right no so no, what, no, no 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 that's that's not not just true i mean yes the, the, so kids that have trouble at home often act out but a lot of kids are, are disruptive in class and i don't mean they're like hurting other kids, but they're just talking. They're not really paying attention. Yeah, yeah. They're messing around. And that's, how, that's little kids, especially little boys. And especially okay. energy little boys like Colby. I mean, there's a certain, there's, there's certain these, these high energy kind of outgoing. He just wants to have fun. Yeah, sitting in class all day, listening to teacher drone on is hard. I mean, I, <laughs> and Sandy's like, I still couldn't do that in college. I have the hardest time going to class and sitting there for an hour or even 50 minutes listening to the, I just, I would space out constantly. I just couldn't pay attention. And so I know he gets it from me. Right. Okay. And, um, and so, well, you saw me at the uh, microconf. What was I? <laughs> hey, listen, I have hard enough time keeping you focused on just one of my sentences. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So microconf, you were constantly like laughing cause I was sort of like doing stuff the whole time. Like I couldn't listen to a speaker. I could only like background them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he gets it from me. I mean, I know that. And, um, so anyway, you know, we were actually looking into, it's like, you know, maybe he has ADHD, you know, which is that, you know, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, which is, you know, like 6% of kids, I think, have it. And he's definitely, if he doesn't have it, he's borderline, you know, he's, right. he's, he's right around there. Um, but he can, he can spend like two hours doing, building something with Legos, two or three hours straight. He can do it every day for like five days in a row, work on some massive project, no problem. Um, so we're like looking into it. I'm like, man, you know, that's, of course you, you don't want to go down that road if you don't, I mean, you're just, you hope it's not true because it's expensive. It's, it's just, uh, you know, of course you don't want your kid. You'd like to think, okay, 
you know, my kid doesn't have this. So issue. when you brought this up, you you were talking about the intrinsic versus extrinsic. No. Was there? What yes. Was the, what was the point? So Sandy goes. <laughs> yeah. So Sandy goes. She's like, all right, before we go down that route and we go and try and get him evaluated by a specialist and see if, you know, if there's things that we got to do for behavior modification or whatever. She's like, Colby, if you get all fours and fives, I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> and if you get all fives, I'll give you five dollars. He's like, all right. Guess what? Wow. He's he got, got all fives. Fours and fives. And like, I think in one week, he, I was he two or three times he came with all fives. I'm like, kid, I'm going to go broke. <laughs> If you go with all fives, I mean, you can't, you know, but I was like, even, even that, I mean, you know, so here's a couple of things. I mean, one, there's some part of you. It's like, you know, I don't want to pay my kid to behave. Right. That's a part of it. Right. I mean, it seems a little weird. <laughs> Why do you put it like that? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of parents do they give, they give kids get straight A's. So like you give it, you know, you know, $10 or $20 for every, I've seen my grown up kids, parents would do that all the time. And I don't think that's too big a deal, but, um, but here's what happens is, so he started getting, doing so well, this teacher was forgetting to send the card home, right? right. And Colby didn't even notice and care. It's kind of like, it just becomes like standard practice, right? It's not like, well, so what does this mean? You know, when he's in like eighth grade, we're going to be paying him to, you know, it's like, no, when it's a pass. So he's in the habit. He's in the habit of it. Yeah, you just kind of establish, you kind of get there. You pay, you, you kind of give him some incentive to get there. You get him over a hump. And then they're okay. It's just like I did with the sight words. You get him over a hump. I work with him for like eight weeks or something. We get him and, and then he's there. And we don't have to do sight words. It's not going to do sight words for the next, you know, 10 years, right? And I have to promise him to take him out to ice cream every weekend because he does something. But the sort of short-term incentives, short, and, and, and they only work, they only, they only do, you know, they're only sort of, um, you know, for a certain time frame, And so that was, that's been huge. I mean, we'll see how it goes, but it's been a you know, few weeks and it's been working really well. And cause Colby's like, he's all about cash, right? He's awesome. Like, Congratulations. I mean, you make, you make him sound, you know, you, that he sounds like a capitalist in not a good way, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, well, kids are like, well, that's what kids are like. I mean, kids want like, you know, Christmas. I mean, they're just, kids are, they're focused on themselves. They're like, they're, they don't make any apologies about it. Right? They don't he know. He thinks cash is king, right? And they are. Well, actually, I mean, he's, the problem is, is he's not, he's not sophisticated enough to hide it. The rest of us pretend, you know, we hide it, but you know, everybody knows that they're sort of internally driven by things like that. So anyway, so to, to add on to that, um, yesterday, um, okay. So he, he also, so he plays, um, basketball and soccer, like his two big sports. Right. And he's a really, really good soccer player. He plays on like this select club thing and they play all the other top clubs around the city. And it's like this, you know, big, thing right so um but he'd been kind of like i noticed that over the last six months he's kind of hasn't made a lot of progress he kind of went through this funk where he just was sort of not trying and he was just kind of going through the motions and i was looking at and i went to take i took him to practice the night and because a lot of times sandy will take him to practice and i'm watching him i'm just like this is i'm like colby what you know he's just like he's doing the same stuff he was doing six months ago and 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 there's a couple like he was supposed to be doing this particular move and he just kind of wasn't really doing it and so yesterday i was driving him to his soccer game and i said colby that's like a deal for you if i'll give you a dollar for every step over you move you do in the game and a step over in soccer is a really sort of advanced move you know you do this fake move with your leg whatever but you would never see little kids do it and He's like, 
He's like, and I said, I'll give you a dollar all the way up to ten dollars. I'm not going to give you more than ten dollars, you know. And only if it works, right? You can't like if it doesn't work or the guy, their player takes it. I'm not going to. He's like, all right, fine. And uh, we get to the game, and he does two in the middle of the game. And that one of them, it, it, you know, he, he was the cause of why we scored a goal and won the game. And I was just like, it was amazing, right? And then we have another, and we had another game today, and he does it in, in, our, in the club game, which is. Um, he gets really hard opponents and he does it. And it was hilarious. The whole sideline just starts cracking up because it was so shocking to see this little kid do a step over. Like, look at that kid go, you know, and the coach looked at me like kind of laughing, like what, you know, what's going we do it, you know? And I'm like, dude, I'm paying him. <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you that's cheap progress. I mean, because <clears throat> when he's 16, a dollar isn't going to get much. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So like, if you, See, a lot of these kids that are playing in these, in these, in these, and, and this would work in like anything. I don't care if your kid's in music or in, in you know, in, in, in any sort of thing where they're trying to master some complex set of skills. And soccer just happens to be, you know, Colby's thing. And in just like in like piano lessons or anything else, you know, or tutors, you could spend a lot of money on private lessons. And a lot of parents spend a lot of money getting private lessons in, in for the, from these soccer coaches right? Get trying to get them to, to master certain skills. And for Colby, I was like, dude, I'll pay you a dollar. But can't you it just translate, was- can't you translate paying him to some other thing like, you know, Legos or whatever? Yeah. Well, so that's the thing. Okay. Well, one thing I want to say is one thing I'm just finished with one thought. These, these coaches cost you 50 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I was way more effective to pay, to just go direct to the source. You know, and like, I'm not going to do it forever, but I'm like, you know, for the next couple of months, I'll pay it all. And then we'll like, we'll move on to another move or something. And I think that's the cheapest two bucks, three bucks. I mean, it was huge for him to make that personal, that step forward to be able to do that in a game and do it multiple times. It was amazing. And it would have probably taken um, three or four or five lessons with some private coach charging $50 an hour to get the same result. And, yes. and likewise, if we had like sent him to a tutor for sight words, rather than me taking him to get ice cream and making him go through them, he would have hated it. And it probably would have taken twice as long. It would have cost us a fortune. And likewise, it's like, well, you know, we're paying him to get fours and fives and his behavior and pay attention, that kind of stuff. Or we could have gone through some big, you know, uh, we could have paid for some assessment on ADHD and how well his behavioral assessment spent a ton of money and time. And it probably would have gotten not even the same results. It's just a phase. It's just a phase. This, we can we can remember this is the Colby Cash phase. <laughs> Colby Cash phase. Well, no, it's just it's just because he just wants to. You know, I mean, essentially what he does is he, it's not like he hoards the cash. He like went and he got twenty dollars and went and he bought this like transformer jet, which he was you know happy with. It's like you know he knows it's just it's just a toy to him, right? He's, he wants to yeah. go buy a toy, which is great. I mean, you teach him like you save up money and you go buy something you want, and you under he understands what that is. Um, but that's all. But I don't think you have to necessarily translate. Say, okay, we're going to pretend it's not money. I'm going to give you like poker chips or some other thing. And then you can go, you know, it's just like, you know, I'll give you cash and you can do whatever you want. You know, you can buy a a toy or we can get, you know, uh, you know, whatever you want. So I'm just noticing on Hacker News right now, there's a, there's a new project management tool, yet another one that's been released that seems to be getting pretty high up on Hacker News. It's the launch. It's What's called it? andbang.com, A-N-D-B-A-N-G.com. So I just thought I'd mention that, given that it's, it's, it's trending right now and it's a, it's a funky new project management tool. Yeah, and, okay. Andbang.com. <laughs> Andbang, yeah. yeah. Well, it looks like it's well-designed. I'm just clicking on it. It looks like it's uh, cute. It looks like it's well-designed. It's got the big Web 2.0-y kind of, you know, the pink and blue and 
Uh, yeah, that's yeah, cute. Oh, we'll give it. A, you want to give it a shot? Let's give it a shot. Mm. I, 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 okay, we'll, we'll try. I looked at the little video, the, the little screencast they have, and it was it was quite um, quirky. Oh no! So it's it's just again, it's going to be like it's going to be too much. It's going to be an overcooked. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's let's give it a try. I'll ping you the link. You can have a look at the the screencast. I'm, well, I'm actually pretty, I'm pretty happy with our text file, to be honest. Well, you know me. I'm all about well. I'm all about ghetto fabulous. You know. Yeah, let's do that. Let's so stick with absolutely the text free for teams of two. We're two, so we're so we're so low on the totem pole. We know we can do it for free. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um. Right. You, you know. Um. You. You want to do another uh, topic? Yeah. Do. Uh, did, you, have you, did you bring in any links to the party today? I did. I'm. I, I, I have something. I'm trying to figure which one I want to talk about. But what, what are you really passionate about talking about right what now? Am I really passionate about? Really uh, passionate. Yeah. I could talk about a lot of things. I don't know. Okay. But what? What? What have you been really like? Oh my god! I want to talk about that so well, much. Well, the thing I just talked about was one thing I've been thinking about that was pretty amusing. But the other one was called. Um, it, it, there was an article on the on the it was called the, on the nextweb.com um called entitled mind blown this guy broke jeopardy's all-time record um with an app so basically this guy set the yeah he set the all-time jeopardy record beat with peter jennings was peter jennings the guy i think who set the record and what he did is he wrote like a, a web app for himself that would help him track his progress on all these different categories so essentially i think there's some database that you can download from their site that has like this 200 and you know 50 i think it was like 216,000 questions um, that have been asked in jeopardy over however many years of the show has been run and he just did some wget pulled down the whole thing and then wrote some parsers to parse all the stuff and stick it into a database and what he discovered is then he ran some analysis to find okay which questions or which topics tended to be double jeopardy topics and which topics tended to be come up a lot more uh, or, or and, and it turns out that like Obscure top, uh, you, like obscure questions from like common topics, or they'll ask easy questions about obscure topics, but not obscure questions about obscure topics. Okay, and so then he he did some analysis. So what he would do is he's like, there's no way that you could, you know, obviously go through all two hundred and you know twenty thousand of these uh, questions. So what you would do is you would say do some sort of like random sampling and try and pull up your average score of the, the of the most highly uh, most commonly asked um categories and he did that and he trained when you know you know was training for it got called in and did it and he just killed he said it was funny he was watching the videos there's a video on the site which is pretty fun to watch and he's you know he's like well because he's giving like a demo at some kind of meetup or something and he said that um it was funny it worked so well that when he came home that day after the first day of shooting because they actually shoot what i didn't know is they do five shows all in one day so since he kept uh, winning, I guess, and coming back, he shot five shows in the first day. And I think he made like $220,000 or something like that. <laughs> but but is, is it legal what he did? I mean, yeah. He, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because what happens, all these people who, who train for Jeopardy, they um, apparently, I guess there's, I don't know, I'm sure there are books for it and there are old questions. It's just like people t- test, you know, studying for like, you know, SAT questions or something or GREs or something. Look at old. How old, old is he? And he, so he he's broken the Jeopardy record. This guy, is, is that what it looked like he he could be anywhere from late twenties to early forty. I mean, he's kind of his, his hair was thinning, so it's kind of hard to tell. I don't know if he's twenty eight or forty two, somewhere in that range. So um, did did he break the record for Jeopardy? Yes, he did. By yes, he did. by substantially or? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much he beat Peter Jennings' record, but he won. And now he's, I guess, in a few months he's going to go up against the the champions of the champions. So all the champions go against each other. Everyone who won, maybe, he's, maybe he could go up against the computer. Watson, that was called. Watson, yeah. Yeah. Watson. yeah, but it was interesting because 
it showed you the power of sort of systematic training. Like he didn't just because what he would say is he would talk to people who were who were who were training for Jeopardy or or things like that, and they and they people and he'd say, well, how are you on X topic? Like, well, I'm good on Shakespeare, but I'm bad on sports, or I'm good on opera, but I'm bad on you know you know history yeah. or something. And he's like he's like, but put a number on it. Don't just say, like, what's your number? I'm 37%. You know, it's like, so he did this by doing a really strict um, analysis on it. He was really able to know exactly where he was and where he needed to be and how to get, go for the low-hanging fruit and get that up. And that's, and that's what allowed him to. I mean, I'm sure he was generally a smart guy and generally, um, you know, probably would have been reasonably competitive. But doing this sort of um, structured approach allowed him to just, just crush it. I don't know if I like that. I mean, it's it's sort of like a little bit like cheating. I mean, it it, is, it obviously isn't right. It's it's good in one way, but in another way, it's just it's like it it changes the aspect of fun. You know, it, then it's then it's not fun anymore. It's just like really hard work. You, do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, so I guess I, oh, I guess my take is I'm not really interested in Jeopardy or like beating Jeopardy. What I'm interested in is sort of like this idea of. Um, of memory, of learning, of, of I guess I've always been interested in, in in how to improve my memory, or how to remember things that I want to remember. Because I f- I get frustrated by the fact that I read so much stuff, but I forget s- most of it. You know, well, I mean, you you have a like a memory that's about ninety percent better than mine. I mean, like when we're talking uh, about stuff, you're great at bringing people's names up. I never have any idea who they are. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, I I think. Probably because I'm a close reader, I probably read things pretty closely, but I don't like I suck when it comes to like who was the guy who did this? I can't like Sandy Sandy's mind is is indexed. She has a heavily indexed mind. Well George is like that as well. Unbelievable. I'll say who's that guy? She's like bang. She's like instantaneous. It's like it's oh one look up, you know. <laughs> My brain has to do this like really, you know in-depth searching you know the guy who was in the movie with the guy remember that guy well he wrote this other movie was in this and she's like i don't even know what you're talking about you know but well, take yeah before you to get there <laughs> well the worst thing that i get is um, i i have the i have the image and the movie all that in my head like as clear as day but i can't remember their name so the first thing is i go okay who was that guy and then they're like and then georgie's well who are you talking about and i'm like he was acting opposite that other guy and I don't remember that guy's name. And then that other guy was in it and I don't remember three of their names. And it's like, oh my God, now we're doing the same thing for all three of those people in this movie. So I have to remember something really random. You know, the movie that has the two ducks who crash in the air or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so it was interesting. People's brains work a little differently. Hers are indexed by, like she literally remembers like the letter. Like if she doesn't get it, she'll get the first letter of the name. Like it's, like, yeah. it's almost like it's like it's it's almost like a computer. Um, that's what I'm like. You know, worst comes to worst, we're just gonna put her on Jeopardy. <laughs> if we can't make ends meet, she's just going on Jeopardy. But so there, there was something interesting about memory on the BBC website today. Um, what the, what's the BBC? Maybe it's just Google News. Um, they were talking about the, the, there's a study. They've kind of realized why people forget things when they walk in and out of rooms. You, you know how you walk into a room and you'll be like, what? Why did I walk in here again? Why did I walk yeah, in? and let me guess. I didn't read it, but my guess is that when you walk into it's probably wrong, but I would think I would think you walk into a room, you you have all this new information, you start processing, and then your brain just kind of gets distracted by the new information. Well, what, well, the the theory that they're putting forward is is that your brain, you know how like when you're editing a, a movie or something like that, you have a scene change. Okay, they're sort of postulating that essentially your brain thinks of it like a scene change. It's like here's a marker, here's a new page. We've just flipped a page. 
that was the old marker. Now this is the new marker. And they've seen that if basically you make a point of, I don't know, let's say you're, you've decided you're going to go and get a bowl of fruit. If you, if you actually set your hands in the shape of a bowl and you walk between the door, you're much more likely to remember. And obviously they're not, they're talking about people who have, you know, who are older people or whatever, who have issues. But, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, well, here's a couple of things I know about a memory. These are like, it's like four, let me see if I, I, I'll see if I can remember these rules of memory, but, <laughs> nice. um, okay. So one of them was that, which kind of is similar to what you're talking about, which is that if you're trying to like, say study, let's say you're studying for a test and you want to learn a bunch of material. What you do want to do is you, is you want to study it in different places. Like you don't always want to be in the same room in the same chair for some reason, like being, having your external environment being different helps your brain make different connections to that information. It's like, it's like hyperlinks. It's almost like the Google, um, like the Google, um, uh, page rank algorithm, which is that the more links, the stronger the rating. So the more, the, 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 the more links that you have going to a piece of information, the stronger, the more easy that your brain is going to find. It's like a higher ranking. It has the, the, the more easily that search results can come up in your brain. So you want to have different results. The other thing is that you want to, when you make an active versus a passive um, pass at the information, it's much easier. So it's like, if let's say you had 50, you're trying to learn a foreign language or something and you have 50 words you're trying to do. If I just kept showing, if I just kept looking at the word, like the English and the foreign word together, that wouldn't be nearly as effective as me looking at the foreign word and trying to remember what it was and then guessing what it was and then checking and the other side and see what it was, seeing what the real, the answer is or vice versa. Right. So it's the active, it's the process of actively trying to retrieve it. It almost like it create. you almost can think of it like it makes like um, footprints in your brain, you know, or like tire marks. <laughs> it's like a, like a, you know, there's a path being driven through your brain. And the other one was, which is really important is spaced learning. So what happens is that, and, and there's a, there's a guy who created the first um, software that was called, it was super memo plus guys. This is, is kind of this crazy Russian guy. And he, he, he's been a lot of time researching on himself and there's been a number of iterations on the product. And I think there's a, there's other like sort of similar, you know, open source versions of, of super memo plus. Um, and I read about this, I guess, I guess made like four or five years ago in why a wired magazine article. And essentially what happens is that, it, he first was like thinking, well, I'm just going to just say, say, I want to learn some word or something. I would just do it like every day for five days or every other day for five days or 10 days in a row. turns out that's not the most efficient way to remember, learn to, uh, to, to learn the information, to memorize it. What you want to do is you want to be presented with the information exactly when you're most likely to be forgetting it, right before you forget it. Like you reinforce it just at that point. So you might say like, today and then i might look at it tomorrow or then or maybe two days later and then like five days later and then like you know 20 days later and then like you know three months later and then you're sort done. Of like a logarithmic scale in, in reverse kind of thing yeah kind of like this exponential or you know whatever decay you know it just kind of like it goes down and, and it gets further and further out and everybody's brain's a little different and it's really so you kind of have to tune it a little bit to your brain and also for that particular piece of information like sometimes you're just going to learn something more quickly in which case the algorithm works a little best if you tune it. And like, so when you present, you're presented with that piece of information, you can sort of give yourself a range of like one through five to like how well you knew it, like one or a zero. I didn't know it at all. Five. I, I, it was, I yeah, I got it. So it was, it'll, it'll wait longer before it presents it to you. Whereas it's like, you know, I bear, I, I got it, but barely. And it took me a lot of struggle, which case it's gonna, it's gonna move it up when it shows it to you again. 
And so those are three things to do is spaced learning, active recall, and, um, and, uh, and then, of course, um, doing it in different um, places. Okay, well, I've got something we could close the show with. All right, let's do it. If you want to. Um, oh, well, what I was going to say is, I, and one of these days I'm going to build a system that is going to help me remember all the things that I'm trying to remember, all the pieces of information ideas that's going to work sort of like that, but it's going to integrate with sort of like long-term memory. Because you know how like we store all these links of yeah. information? So like we store links of information and that's our long-term memory store. But the problem is that's not very efficient because there's just these links with these titles. So what the hell good use is that? Right. And then you have this way of like, well, short-term memories. What I want is I want to have this long-term memory store of the most important information. And I want to have something that helps keep most of it, most of all of the relevant facts and information and ideas in my brain so that I don't forget them. That's what I'm going to build. <laughs> that's, that's a project on the horizon. It's funny. I, I was going to go on to something else, but I, I have one thing to say about this. Georgie always says, how do I remember so much about tech? Like she, she looks at what I'm coding and she's like, how do you remember all this? How do you know what to do? And um, the, I kind of thought about it and worked out what I actually do is I'm very quick at picking up information, but I don't remember the fullness of the information. What I'm really good at doing is remembering, remember, oh, remembering the word that I need to Google to get to the link that tells me <laughs> about the information. Right. And that's what I do. So, I, so my head is just full of Google searches. Google, like, just the, yeah, right. Google hand, like search, search, uh, search. It's, yes, it's like a pointer. It's like it's like yeah. a C pointer or something. So I just have all of this stuff in my brain, and I can just go onto Google and go, da -da -da, and then I get to the information. So I don't really remember the information. It's like I keys into the Google hash. You're right. Yes. Keys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Information. That's the way I do it. So anyway, so the the next thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, Honda's robot Asimo. Yeah, I saw a that? video. I saw a video of that thing walking. You saw up. that like a long time ago, right? A new version of it I saw on uh, X3, you know, John C. Dvorak's show. Oh, so you've seen this recently? Yeah, mm -hmm. because first time round, that robot was pretty impressive, and it was doing things like walking around or whatever. Now this new release, the videos to me are just—I mean, they're almost getting to the point of surreal. I mean, what it what it can do—they're not just focusing on things like it it walking or it it running or whatever now it's starting to interact with people and and become a butler <laughs> and just yeah. do the kind of things that you think robots are supposed to do and it's just so freaking good <laughs> yeah it was pretty impressive and there was like there's a couple other that i've seen there was another robot that that it was like a military robot that was really impressive that had like a this it, it, for its head it just had like this red light looked like a cylon or something but it was amazing too of, of like how it could run and walk and then it, there was another one that one of those animal looking ones and i mean we're right now, now we've made like, apparently the progress in robotics is just accelerating as you as makes sense so in our lifetime in our lifetime there's going to be robots that is in people's houses i mean yeah just I, wonder, I wonder what here's my question about robots and is that i think Mechanically, they we, we're probably going to get to the point where where robots can maneuver like human, maybe not quite as well as humans, but can move maneuver very well to where they can walk up and down stairs and move around a house and do things. But the question is, how until they have human common sense, which is who knows how far off that is? At what point are you really going to trust them? Are they really going to be useful? It's going to be kind of these things like the Segway, which I was going to think it looks really neat, but then nobody's actually going to use it. Well, I mean, have you used Siri yet on the iPhone? I haven't. No. Well, the, I mean, the reports of people using Siri say that 
for I don't know how that I don't know how they what algorithm Siri has going on, but basically it's it's incredibly good at discerning what your intention is, like uncannily good, almost like oh my god, there's a person in this thing who's listening to me. So if you just couple that technology with the robot who can actually do the things, and I mean. Like Asimo's, Asimo can open and pour a drink. He can hop on one foot. He can talk to three people at once. He can act as a host and do all this stuff. Once you couple those two things together and with obviously the advances that are coming, I, I can imagine that common sense won't really be important. It, it's just like, do they understand, the? does the programming and machine understand your intent and can they physically do what you need them to do? And I think that's going to be around within like five years. Hmm. Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. And it'd be interesting. I mean, I think like for things like assisting the elderly, um, Mm -hmm. maybe lifting really heavy objects in like factories and things like that, moving stuff around kind of things that like forklifts were doing, um, kind of like, remember like an alien or aliens, they Mm -hmm. would walk around those big, like, um, this kind of the, like a human would be in like the, in the, in the, in the the walker I'm talking about. And they also did that in like avatar. Those kind of things. It's, that- it, I mean, it's it's going to be like Star like Star Wars, where you have C three PO walking alongside you, helping you out as you're like going, doing your shopping. He's going to sound like you. I put like an English accent. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, along those lines, the um, the uh, you you read about there was been a big battery improvement. At, I think it was at Northwestern University where they. Oh no, I didn't. They, by using something called graphene, which is like this. I guess graphite is made out of graphene, and and um, I don't know a whole lot about material science, but essentially what they're saying is. <laughs> By improving the layers of this of this graphene or something, um, essentially they can the batteries can hold ten times the capacity and they charge ten times faster. Wow! Well, that's great. Ten times the capacity, but at the same time, what that also means is if it holds ten times the capacity, then make it be like way smaller. Like maybe you could have it be five times smaller and hold twice the capacity. And well, we've needed like, that. That's what's been holding us back so many ways. Yeah, well, batteries, especially, you know, things like, uh, you know, your, your smartphones, okay. like batteries are the, one of the biggest parts of them. And like things like um, your, uh, and of course, like the, the electric cars. I mean, that's a huge deal. Well, and, the iPad's the- so heavy, okay. right? Because what? the iPad's so heavy because it's got so much battery. I mean, it, it, it is mainly battery. <laughs> yeah, right? so, so once, once you, you can solve do that, that problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, um, it just so happened, I was eating my lunch and I turned on some, um, I guess a CNBC was talking about like innovators or something. I think it was like a show called something like innovators or something. And the, and the guy, the interview was the guy who created the uh, super soaker, the squirt gun, you know, the, the super soaker, which is like this, it's like this high powered squirt gun. That's the one and, that uh, you, you um, uses um, pneumatic pressure. Right. right. So that you pump it and just blow yeah. blow. yeah. Right. So, it's on a story. So I guess he made like, you know, 20 million or so off the sales of it. Cause he only got like a couple of percent of the royalties. Some toy company made it, but he's a scientist and inventor. And, um, I missed the beginning of it, but I got the impression he was like, he might've been a NASA scientist or something. And so he's pumped most of his money back into his research and development company. He has, he has like a hundred patents under his name. And one of the things that he, that they have created, or I guess that they're working on, they're perfecting now is they said a, a car battery that can go a thousand miles without hmm. without recharging whereas do you remember like the um the tesla um roadster that's like 200 or 300 200, or something? like 200 or 250 kilometers or something like 250 kilometers maybe so i don't know if it's 250 miles or 250 kilometers something in that range but a thousand miles is obviously a huge jump um so yeah did, did you hear anything further about the cold fusion thing i i, I didn't i'm just wondering no if you i haven't i haven't anything. uh haven't heard anything more on that did yeah we talked about the last year doing the e- yeah yeah the catalyzer whatever it's called um 
No, I don't know. I'll be interested to keep. I mean, I think it's probably bullshit, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be great if it wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. So what else we got? We got anything else? We got anything else? Oh, we've done. I mean, we've we've done our time. So uh, we, you know, but to help, yeah, we, definitely. Well, we were going one one forty, but probably edit down to one thirty at this stage. Yeah, yeah. One other thing I wanted to talk about, small one, which is I guess it kind of brought up the whole kid thing I was talking about, Colby, which is the whole. Um, yeah, not not necessarily extrinsic, intrinsic, but this one is called "Want Smarter Kids Space Them at Least Two Years Apart." <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I saw the title and I thought it was interesting, but I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess the, if you do statistical analysis, you find out that you know kids are based you know further apart, do a little better in reading, and do a little better in school and things like that. Which the obvious reason being that you have more time and energy to focus on them, right? Mm. When you got two or three or four kids, the more kids you have, the less time you have to work with each individual kid, the more time it's like, well, they have to fend for themselves because you're like putting out two other fires at the moment, which happens, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's only so much time and, and, uh, in the day and, and there's only so much attention that you can give when you have more kids and when you have only one kid, it's easy. And when you have, when you space them out, um, you, you, you know, like when they're all the same age and sometimes it's more chaotic when you get older kids and stuff, you have a little more time. And especially, I guess when they're younger, you can work with them a little more, but I was looking at, and I, I, I I wasn't hundred percent sure. It wasn't totally clear, but it looked like the statistical difference between like, if you had kids that were more than two years apart or not is like, yeah, the kids are better reading, but it was like, they were like on average, like a month and a half ahead in the reading or something, you know, it was like, I could conquer that in a week with a, with the promise of an ice cream cone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like, okay, so yeah, you know, cause they, they come up with these things and they say, well, this is better than that or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe it is, but how much better? And obviously, and sometimes how much better is not very much and it can be made up in other ways at almost no cost or with almost no effort or, or requiring very little resources. It's like, we talk about that in like, you know, all of these like programming frameworks and technology and stuff that, well, this is better than that. And this is better than that. It's like, well, are you talking about like micro optimizations? I mean, like how much better are you talking about like saving yourself 30 seconds, you know? And a lot of times it seems like, you know, people start about something is better than something else, but, they don't, the absolute difference is so small. It's like, it's a silly, even this is almost a silly discussion, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, anyway, I thought that was kind of, so I don't know. You can, people read it from themselves, but that was the impression. It was on Freakonomics, but it, I don't think the, the difference was that much. It's like, you know what? Just uh, come up with your own. Uh, you, you could, you, if you're, you're, cause our kids are, are like 20 and our kids are 20, 20 and 21 months apart. Um, right. and, and I'm sure we definitely suffer from the, our kids are, uh, you know, due to the chaos, we can't. <laughs> the chaos factor. But uh, yeah, I guess, are we, we done? I, I don't really have anything else. I mean, I could, you know, yeah, I think find we're done. something, but I think we're done. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.